Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm Macaretta, and I interview real women with real stories about real life stuff. I'm inviting you to laugh, cry, and connect with my guests as they share some of their most impactful life experiences, from their brightest moments to their darkest hours. For more stories and an opportunity to share your own, visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Today we're going to be hearing a story about a professional woman who decided to pivot after completing a rigorous degree program and starting a career. She's going to tell us her story of starting over and what that looked like for her. Now, not only did she start over, but she started over in an unconventional sort of way um, with a, a business model that was not the usual for her line of work. So kind of going a little bit against the grain at times to provide the services that she wanted to provide to her community the way she wanted to. She took this unconventional road. So she really is sort of a brave pioneer and we've lots to learn from her. Dr. Susan Weepert is the physician and owner of Purely Pediatrics. She was a pediatric physical therapist prior to attending medical school, and she graduated from Damon College in 1993. She also holds a Master of Science from North Carolina Chapel Hill under a maternal and child health grant, and she worked at Women and Children's Hospital in Buffalo as a pediatric physical therapist before leaving to attend medical school. Dr. Sue graduated from the University of Buffalo in 2005 with a medical doctor degree. She completed a combined pediatric physical medicine and rehabilitation residency at Women and Children's Hospital. And since 2002, she's also been working at Pediatric and Adolescent Urgent Care of Western New York in Williamsville, New York. She is a board certified pediatrician. She continues to work in the urgent care while starting her business, Purely Pediatrics, to continue serving the children of Western New York in dual capacity. She is also a certified lactation counselor and offers comprehensive supportive care to mothers that choose to breastfeed. Dr. Sue lives in Western New York with her husband, Dave. They have two lovely boys, Caden and Caleb. She's a busy hockey mom, soccer mom, swim mom, and baseball mom. And the four of them share their lives with their dog, Daisy. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Sue. Hi, Carm. Thank you for having me on. So excited we finally are getting this done because I want everybody to know about you and what you've accomplished. And um, you have a lot to share the women of our community and beyond. And so we're going to get right to it. So Sue, you started out as a physical therapist. And at what point during your physical therapy work, did you feel like something was off or something wasn't right? Yes, yes. And Carmen, that's such a good question. Because I, I always felt like I wanted to serve my patients in a little bit of a different capacity. I focused on mobility as a physical therapist. So um, I was in a hospital setting. So I was 
going up after post after surgeries, going up and helping them get in and out of bed, having great conversations with them, getting to know the families. But I always wanted to look through their medical charts, understand what they had done and, and what their medical history was. And that's when I decided I thought it would be a, at least a nice option for me to, to go further into my training to understand. So it wasn't until you had started working as yeah. a physical therapist that you realized there was a little piece missing for you. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, yeah. I loved physical therapy. And in fact, I, I, um, I even speak to my oldest son, Caden about mm. physical therapy because he's interested in, in sports kind of related things. And, and I loved it. I just knew that I wanted to get a little bit more in depth into what I was able to do for serving these patients that I was seeing. You know, those decisions are never easy, especially when we've invested in a college education and we've set financial goals for ourselves. And, you know, you may have had a great employer relationship. So these are not easy decisions to make. Right. No, they're not. And, and I can remember the, the day that I actually decided I was going to attempt medical school. Mm -hmm. I was a traveling physical therapist. I was in mm -hmm. Southwest Virginia in a home with my black lab. I was sitting down and I thought, you can do anything. What is it that you would like to do? And so I remember thinking that that's something I had thought about for such a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided to start start the, the forward process. At the time, were you already married? Did you have your kids yet? No, no, I was not. I was mm -hmm. not married. And, mm -hmm. and um, everything I've done in my life, Carmen, it's been a little bit um, later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I call myself a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I never, you know, it's funny, I never thought that I was old. I never thought that I was too old to try something. And I hope to give that to my sons too. Mm -hmm. I hope to, to teach them that you can add on to what you're doing. And it's funny, Carm, because I think that's what I did instead of an, a pivot. I feel like I use my physical therapy training every day in my patient care. So I think it's really been a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you were able really to it, you're still in the same discipline, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. so not yeah. complete pivot out of okay, the industry. Right. <laughs> Definitely a pivot, um, you know, with new, more training. Sure. Um, and, and I, I think in ways I probably, you know, it's funny, your mindset, you can, your mindset makes a difference for you. And mm -hmm. I knew that my mindset would let me be happy as a physical therapist as well, if I chose to stay in that. Um, but as I look at that, where I am now, I'm always grateful mm -hmm. for, for taking the leap and, and doing what I did to get here. How do you think you ended up as someone who was able to see all possibilities and see such an open road in front of you? Because a lot of people don't have that, you know, they feel, um, you know, like there's obstacles or barriers or that, you know, they can't do anything. Um, do you think that was your, your upbringing or... Yeah, I think so. Carmen, that's a great question too. I think it might be. I never was made to feel like I had to follow one road mm -hmm. and that I couldn't change my mind. You know, it's hard when, when your family sees that you're possibly going down a road that's going to be a difficult one. 
I think that's something that my family made sure that I, I knew that it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be easy. But I think in a way, who I am allowed me to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that I couldn't do something. And, and I knew that if I didn't get into medical school, mm-hmm. that I would still be okay. Cause I yeah. would still see the families. I, I could make my life what I wanted it to be. And that mindset is something that even as I get older, I feel like it's even better. So I'm, yes. I am surprised that I had that mindset when I was in my twenties. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's really yeah. why I asked the question that yeah. was yeah. for your young years, you were yeah. very wise. And, and confident in and able right. to see all your possibilities. And that's wonderful. So you're going to medical school now while you are raising a family. Do I have the timeline about right there? So I had my boys when I actually got married when I was in, in um, my fourth year of med school. Okay. I had my boys in residency. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> So Carmen, I always have uh, people ask me, how did you do it? And I think Carmen's a little bit of a blur, but I have to tell you it was my village. My family helped me. Yeah. My mother-in-law, my, my sisters, my husband. I think people Um, that that don't know much about medical school, mostly everybody knows that residency is not an easy (laughs) time. And then you had two kids during residency. Right, right, right. Okay. So you, you finish uh, medical school, you're a pediatrician. And now how do you decide, you know, where you want to specialize and where you want to, you know, what community you want to serve and what you want to do? Right, right. And Karm, I did, as you had mentioned, I did the dual residency program. So I trained, it was a seven-year program Mm -hmm. and it was pediatrics as well as physical medicine rehab. And one thing that I I did do that was a little bit of a challenge and and I chose to work in the pediatric field instead of the the rehabilitation field. And that's um, something that, you know, I've been questioned about and I knew that when I took my training in the, the rehabilitation portion of it, I knew that my happiest part of it was when I was working with the children mm-hmm. and um, the, the families, the infants, the, the children of all ages. And it wasn't just specialized in the rehabilitation field. Mm-hmm. So I did take a little bit of a pivot that was surprising to some um, that thought I was going to be more of a physical medicine and rehab component of our area. Um, so that was a decision I made and I started at the urgent care and um, that just came up. I, I sent my resume into the urgent care and that same day that the owner received my resume was the same day that the one other doctor she had there actually resigned because she was moving. So that was almost, um, you know, a Hail Mary for me. It was all sort of meant to be, it sounds. So I've been there, I'll be nine years now. Wow. But you had this other little thing floating around your brain. (laughs) So tell us about that, that little piece. I would love to. And at the urgent care, I am known for being one of the slowest doctors, (laughs) which means I like to spend the time with my families. And um, if there's anybody that comes in that's complex, they'll let me know. And usually I'll be the one that'll go into the room. Um, And I love that. I love that being known for that. 
um, which means the world to me. And I knew that eventually I would want to kind of get into the realm where I could be the one to follow these children instead of just telling them to follow up with their pediatrician. Um, some of the families I knew that I would never see again after we had these discussions. So one of the nurses that actually works with me now kept asking me, Dr. Sue, when are you going to open up your own practice? When are you going to open up your own practice? And eventually I had come to the decision that it was time. We're going to go forward. So when you first started working in the urgent care, though, that wasn't necessarily your goal was to have a practice, no. but it was through the connections that you were making with the families that that idea was born. That's right. Yeah you like to do things differently and in the long way or the difficult way you decided that you wanted to serve your patients and families in a different sort of business model. So tell us about the model. Right, right. So the model is actually called direct primary care CARM and it is a membership model. So although Families can still have medical insurance. I just don't bill their insurance. So I don't use their insurance for my needs. Um, that way I am, I'm not, I don't have a middleman. So I'm actually working for my families uh, with the, the small monthly fee monthly that they, that they pay for me. Um, they can use their insurance for everything else, for um, medications, specialist visits, ERs, urgent cares. The insurance company just doesn't ever hear from me. And this allows me to have hour-long visits with my families. I can mm -hmm. see them as often as I want to without worrying about whether it's going to be reimbursed. So my reimbursement comes from my families mm -hmm. who, are, who I'm working for instead of the insurance companies. So you're not restricted in any way by, you know, the, the protocols and guidelines and things set by insurance companies, which exactly. allows you to practice the way you want, really. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I can have a baby newborn visit be an hour and a half mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about reimbursement, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is really nice. I can have the families contact me directly because mm -hmm. we have a small group. There's only three of us that are working there, a small group of families. I don't intend to get very large. Mm -hmm. and so we are always directly accessible to our families because we don't have the thousands and thousands of patients that some of the traditional okay. models have to have. And the, the time restrictions too, that goes yeah. along with seeing, seeing patients, it changes, it changes how you practice. It, it changes, you know, what you're able to talk about in a visit. You don't have to say, you know, we can't cover this at this visit. We'll have to reschedule that and talk about that at another visit, you know, which, uh -huh. you know, once you get somebody in the door, you want to take care of the whole person, you know, right. and not piece things out like that. Exactly. It, it, Carm, it has been a wonderful experience for me and the families have become my family which has been really amazing. Honestly, I, I am grateful every day for this practice. So how does um, someone who's never owned her own pediatric practice or her own medical practice, I mean, how did, how did you know that that was an option, that, that type of care model? Yeah, I actually, it was through a Facebook group. I got mm -hmm. onto a pediatric um, private practice group mm -hmm. and one of the doctors was speaking about this model of care. Mm -hmm. And I started to look a little bit more into that because it does exist in other states and, and mm -hmm. they do well. 
in our area, I could only find another pediatrician in Albany that had such a practice model. Mm -hmm. So I went to a um, conference that was Mm -hmm. in person in Florida and I brought my nurse Kathy with me. And there was a whole two days about how to set up such a practice, what to look for, um, and other doctors doing this already that helped me kind of streamline everything that I needed to do to put into place. But there was nobody locally doing no. this. So, so you had to rely on the, the support and the, the education that you were getting from these friends you were making in your group. You know, how was it received initially locally? Yeah, Carm, when I was asked about the type of practice that I was having, um, people thought it was likely going to be traditional. Mm-hmm. And at first I had thought about being traditional because I didn't know if it would work here, the membership model, since it was never in existence. Right. Um, And the more that I thought about it, the more I realized I really just wanted to jump into this and and give it a try and see. So what I did is I designed my website. I learned how to design a website. Um, Technology was, continues to be my most difficult challenge. Um, But I designed the website and I put a little pop-up on there for people that wanted to be on the wait list for when I was open. Mm -hmm. And that grew. I started to get one person and then another and another. So before I opened my doors, I had 35 families registered. Wow. Must have made you feel like you could keep going at least. Exactly. Exactly. Carm, that is what, yes, that pop up on there, having them be able to register before I opened, that really gave me the confidence to continue to move forward because I would have had no idea if I would have interest. Wow. So, so you were, you had some signs that you were, you were going to be received by patients and families. Tell me about the, the medical community here, the pediatric community. How, how were they responding? Yeah. You know, I had a little bit of a mixed bag of responses. Mm-hmm. I had a few reach out to me um, that told me they thought it was a great thing. They were so excited. They were thinking about doing a model like this. And some of them um, weren't so happy. Um, uh, just few and far between, but, but I got a few messages on my website that mentioned that that was not um, a very good road to take for our area you know, for many reasons, mostly because I was stepping outside of a model of insurance care that is, is so strong in our area and, and so regulated that I think these other doctors were um, just seeing me as somebody that was trying to change, was trying to rock the boat in an area that's already doing well with their services. We do have many wonderful pediatric groups in our area, CARM. Um, And I think before they understood what I was actually doing and how I could really serve families, I think it was just a new thing that they weren't quite sure how to feel. So how, how about now? You know, you've been in business for a couple of years now. And I mean, you know that your patients and your families are, are happy that you're here and doing this how you're uh, the way you are. How does the medical and pediatric community receive you now differently from when you were starting? Yes, very much so, Carm. Um, Many of them will even send families to me that they can't serve in the way they want to. Mm -hmm. So they'll tell them about, um, tell them about us and the families will come, will come on over and join us. And then I'll have some pediatricians just check in to to ask uh, how things are going and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, 
it's been really very different. Would you say you're, you know, you've integrated into the pediatric medical community at this point? I would say, yeah. And if anybody has any questions about it, they will call me. Um, I've had a few doctors come in and meet with me about how they can set up their own kind of membership model of care too. I've met some of them out for dinner and we've spoke about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think it's becoming um, an interest to some of the doctors in this area. That's great. And you're always so generous with your, your time and your knowledge. That's great that you're you're helping them. So, I mean, at any point during the planning stages and while you were getting ready to, to open up your practice in this way, did you ever feel like I got to put the brakes on or this isn't going to work? Were you ever discouraged? Yes. Yes. And, and Carm, the the hardest part is I think is patience is to realize that you're not going to have everything perfect technology. You know, we don't hire anybody else to cover. Um, you know, we do our own billing. I do my own website, my own social media really out of, of necessity because hiring on for that can be very expensive. So I learned how to do things the hard way, made many mistakes, <laughs> <laughs> I make sure that I tell my families that I do all of the billing. So if there's any mistakes at all, just to let me know, um, you know, but I think uh, that is, I think made me the most proud is that I've been able to do this without much intervention from others, which has been really great. Wow. That's amazing for a, a woman starting out in business or planning her business. You know, that first year, I know you learned some tough lessons. What any pearls of wisdom that you can share? Yeah, I think uh, one of them is to reach out when you really feel stuck, is, is reach out to the people that you know that are supporting you. And even if they don't have any advice for you, just to let them know how you feel. You know, I've talked to Dave, my husband, about things from the beginning and um, just being able to communicate get you in a mindset where you realize that this is going to happen. These things are, this is how you grow and you're in a, an, a, an uncomfortable position before you grow and to realize that that's how it has to be to get you where you need to, to go to, mm-hmm. I think is something to remember. And I continuously remind myself of that karma that, because there's, you know, you'll get on a great path and then there's always something that changes. You know, so you have to get out of that comfort zone and and just step into an area that you may not know where you're going, but you eventually find your way with time. And keeping that end goal in sight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keeping that end goal in sight and remembering it's a journey, remembering it's Mm -hmm. a journey harm. I think the biggest thing is no matter what we do, reminding ourselves that it's truly the journey that you're in this for. And and to think of it only as a destination um, kind of sets us up for disappointment, I feel. So if I think of this as a continuing journey, it changes everything for me. And you're going to miss the good stuff that you're, you're learning along the way or that, yeah, you know, is happening right. along the way. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So your practice is, is bustling now and you're also doing all of these other business related activities like billing and social media. And how are you getting this all done? And you're still working at the urgent care mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well. So how are you managing your time and your family and all of this. It sounds like a lot. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and Carmen, I remind myself, so many of us are in the same position. <laughs> we're, all, right. we're all trying to juggle these balls. Um, and I'm definitely not perfect with it. I, I feel like I, I let my family know when they feel like if they feel like I'm not present enough, I want them to tell me, I try to incorporate my boys. So I'll bring them to work with me. They'll ride their bicycles with, with your son. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but, you know, I think incorporating them into it has been helpful for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just realizing I'm just being grateful for what I have is really what I keep trying to do. And when I get really busy and I just need to decompress, I just take that time, sit where there's nothing that I think about, even if it's just a walk or uh, sitting down and just really thinking about where I need to be next, Mm -hmm. putting that on paper and and, um, being happy with where I am in the moment as well. Those are two things I try to, I try to remember. That's good, good advice for sure. Well, we have a pediatrician on the podcast today, people, and we are, we're going to pick her brain. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to use her to earn advantage. We are in the social media and information age where we can find anything good, bad, and in between online and a lot of criticism that we see, you know, in regards to parenting, I think it's parenting is an area where people have very strong feelings about how things should be. Um, and I remember as a new mom, all the advice and, and, you know, when the advice is given to you from your aunt or your sister or your neighbor, um, when it comes to parenting advice, people tend to be very passionate and convicted about what they're saying. Oh, sure. I I do remember hearing a lot of bad advice (laughs) (laughs) as a new mom, bad advice, stuff that kind of, I don't know, went, went against my migraine, I guess, you know, things like, you know, let them cry themselves to sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of older, older parenting styles that, you know, still drift into, into, you know, cross generations and, and drift into the present. So that being said, I know you are uh, a proponent for what we call intuitive parenting. Yeah. What does intuitive parenting mean? Give us a couple, you know, tell us briefly what that is and a, a couple examples of how we would apply that. Oh, of course, Carmen, I would love to. And there's a few, you know, you'll look at a few different names, you'll, conscious parenting, intuitive, another word is attachment parenting. And I learned about this as I um, had my own children and, and realized that it's hard. It is really hard. And to, to instead of trying to look externally, I, I learned a, a few tips and tricks from the attachment parenting groups that I had um, listen to either on podcasts or read some books. Um, but Gordon Newfeld has a, is a wonderful resource that I have used. Um, he's got great videos in terms of attachment parenting, um, really learning how to trust your intuition, how everybody can tell you what you need to do or what they think you need to do. When many times we know if it doesn't make us feel right, what they're telling us to do, then it's not right for us. 
and knowing, you know, we used to have way back when there used to be villages of people that could help raise your child with you, villages of extended families. Um, now two parents work, you're using daycare, you're, you're trying to do the best for your child while you're looking externally when many times those answers are really internal with what you feel you need to do. Mm -hmm. And I will often tell families that intuitive, use your intuition, because that's going to tell you if this is right for you or your baby. If you want to try the cry it out method, you can try that. But if it doesn't feel right to you, it means it's not right to you. And I think giving families that capability to, to trust their own heart makes mm -hmm. such a difference. We're finding that you know, with babies, we're doing, there's more research on, on um, neurodevelopmental techniques and strategies with babies. And we're finding that babies that have been where they've actually tried cry it out and they, um, they facilitate those kind of cry it out methods that those little ones actually don't develop the coping skills that you want them to develop as an adult. And we're learning that in order to be able to soothe yourself, you have to be physically soothed by other people and that you learn that soothing, you learn that training for yourself by having that done for you. So Carmi will never hear me tell a family to let their baby cry it out unless that's what they want to do. And I will tell them to try it, trial and error. And if they don't feel that it fits where they need to be, then they change it mm -hmm. and we figure it out. And trial and error is the key. And I think, you know, new parents feel inadequate to begin with, right? So we are looking externally. We yeah. don't trust ourselves. Exactly. And knowing that it's okay to trust our intuition is mm -hmm. huge, can be, mm -hmm. can be really life-changing for, for parents. Um, you know, you don't, grandma's going to give her two cents anyway, Bye. but... <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not, but yes, yes. She doesn't know all she is not the end all be all. And in this age of misinformation and information overload, being able to trust yourself is so important. Yes, um, it is. Carm. It really is. It sounds easy, but it's right. not. Oh, because you're getting bombarded with mm -hmm. external sources of information and opinions and, you know, maybe even pressure from families, right? I mean, uh, families can actually disagree to the extent of an argument over, you know, parenting styles. Um, very, very interesting way to approach parenting. I love it. So can we talk about social media and kids for a few minutes? Can you, can you share some wisdom with us? Um, you know, what are some, some guidelines? Yeah. I think one of the main things is, is to be present, Carm, to know, to speak with your kids about what they're doing. My sons have, have phones. They don't have cellular service, but they do have phones. So they are able to use Wi-Fi to get on to speak with their friends, use TikTok, YouTube. I don't have them on Facebook or Instagram. I think at this point, I, I'd, really, I'd really discourage people from having their children on those types of social media, if at all possible. I think as adults, we have a hard time filtering through and asking a, a, a brain that's still developing um, in a way that, that we just can't even fathom 
you know, our brain isn't fully developed until we're in our early 20s. So even TikTok can be a dangerous kind of thing for these mm -hmm. kids. But I think for us to be aware, to be present with them, um, I will have my, my kids show me their TikTok videos. They'll make, they'll make their own. And, and I love that they want to learn to do that. But I think really just being aware and knowing what your children are, are watching and who they're talking to, mm -hmm. letting them know not to give any of their private information, not to give their names, their phone numbers, their addresses, letting them know that people, when they connect with the, the mm -hmm. people on their phone, they're connecting with the world and people that we don't know. That's important for them to hold that sacred with their own identities and not share that with other people. It's hard though, because I don't know that they always understand that. No, and they're very trusting. Yes, they're very they trusting as young people. And I think too, what's difficult is um, they're comparing their use of social media and electronics to whatever their friends are doing. So, you know, if your child is the only one in the class who doesn't have the cell phone, yes, that's an issue. Or the only one in the class who isn't on TikTok. You know, exactly, it's... exactly. And Carm, I do think my son was one of the last ones to get a phone. And to be honest, I want him to be able to communicate with his friends. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, I actually gave him my phone when I got a new one. Mm -hmm. And um, I love having to communicate with his friends. That's really my main, my main goal for that. But knowing that the world is open to him, mm -hmm. letting them know to be weary and letting them know their limits. Mm -hmm. And if you see something that's being done that you're not happy with, making sure to talk to them. And if you need to set limits, then you set limits. Mm -hmm. But letting them, giving them the trust that they're gonna make the right decisions is important for them as well as they grow. So I think that's where I have been with my boys. It's hard, it has been a struggle. Um, I will let them know that I, I wanna be able to access their phone. I'm not trying to you know, inhibit their privacy, but they know that it's important that, that I'm aware of what they're doing. Same, same in our house. The, the phone yeah. is, is I'm allowed to look at it whenever I want. <laughs> I, I think that's important. And for them to realize why that is, I tell them someday you'll understand. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. But I think, you know, it is hard to be the last one in the class without a phone. I remember his friends were asking him, when are you going to get a phone? It, it's hard. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that was part of our decision making as well. Um, you know, my son was always real quick to tell me that, you know, he was one of the only ones without one. And <laughs> I always wondered if it was true, but that was, I know, we'll never know. Right. That was one of his arguments anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you had mentioned, um, the doctor that had, uh, done some written work on intuitive, uh, parenting, mm -hmm. um, can you recommend some other good online resources for parents just because there is so much out there? What oh sure, sure. Carm, one of the um the websites I love is called Kelly Mom. It's K-E-L-L-Y-M-O-M dot com. I love their articles. What's really nice about them is they they go into um, more of a non-judgmental kind of recommendations for families that might want to do more traditional roots or more natural roots, things like that. I think um, that's a really great site. I think they they will find that helpful. You know, um, 
another site too, the CDC does have some great information as well. I know that the Lyme disease and ticks have been a big issue this year. The CDC has great recommendations on what to do for that too, but they also have recommendations on some other um, diseases and illnesses also that can be managed well using their recommendations. And Carmen, the other thing too is remember that their pediatrician is always there for them. You know, making sure they don't feel bad contacting them, calling them, asking these questions, knowing that that's why we do this. We love to, to help families and we, we want to be the resource for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah good, good to remind people about that because I think in today's system, a lot of times parents will withhold reaching out. Right. You know, or, or not reach out because they don't want to be a bother or they don't think their question is serious enough to, you know, actually pick up the phone. So, but you're right. That's, that's why, that's why doctors go into practice. Right. Exactly. Carmel, I'll be at the urgent care and I'll ask them if they call their doctor and they'll say, no, um, they're not open, but they don't realize that we're always on call. There's always somebody on call for them. Sure. And they want to know. Yeah, of course. Are, are you taking patients right now at Purely Pediatrics? Yes, we are, Carm. Um, we have had a busy baby season. <laughs> <laughs> it has been very busy with babies. Um, so right now we're, we're taking, um, we have a wait list that we're taking with the older children. We're trying to get our babies in that we've already, um, many of our families, I think we've had about 30 families mm-hmm. um, tell us that they're pregnant and many of them have started having their babies already. Um, but once we get through that um, newborn influx, then we'll open up to, to older children as well. But we do have a wait list that we use constantly. So we don't discourage anybody from um, interest if they have interest with us. We talk to them about what their needs are and, and um, we go from there. Excellent. And so to initially find out more about you and your practice, uh, listeners can go to purelypediatrics.com, correct? That's right. That's right. We do have a Facebook page too. Um, and Carm, we do, if they do go to purelypediatrics.com and they want to be part of our parenting with the pediatrician group, they can join that as well. We do have over a hundred uh, families that have joined that group. And we talk about different parenting questions, different concerns. Um, so I really tried to step into that realm of parenting with, with our families since that's really such an important discussion to have. So if they want to join that, that's right on the website. Yeah. And is that just for members? No, no, that can be for anybody. Okay. Anybody on the website. Yeah. And going right on there, we, we have patients, uh, actually we have families from um, Africa that have joined that website. We've got a few people international on there. I know it's really interesting. That's awesome. Dr. Sue (laughs) has gone international. I love it. I love it. Well, Sue, I'm I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. Um, Thank you for being a pioneer in our community and in, in, in your, your industry and your line of work and being a role model for women and women entrepreneurs and just an advocate for children and families. Our community is, is so much better with you here. 
Oh, Carm, thank you so much. I feel so much the same about you. I love watching you grow. These podcasts are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Fabulous. Thank you. I appreciate it, Sue. All right, listeners, if you want to reach out to Sue, you know where to find her at purelypediatrics.com. And once again, I thank you, Sue, for being here today, for sharing all this great information with my listeners. And This Girl Puts Out is officially signing off. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real-life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.